Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Foss of GatorCountry.com. On this episode, we are joined by G. Allen Taylor of The Athletic. That'll happen at about the 20-minute mark. He's going to talk to us about the Todd Golden hire, what went into making the hire, uh, what Florida might do in the transfer portal, why we should be optimistic about the Golden Era, even though it was a little bit of an outside-the-box hire by Scott Strickland, and um, how Florida may round out its roster uh, coming up in the year to come. We'll also answer more of your listener questions. We had so many, we can carry some over to this episode. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am the elected Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, a, a relatively quiet week, I guess, since we last recorded, which is a, a, a change from the last month or so. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, again, I think a, a lot of it might be, could be, uh, that some of these these visits are, some of these players just like to keep it on the, the quiet side. I mean, let's remember last year when Flanders Fleming just really surprised everyone with a commitment to the Gators. Like some guys are going to be a little bit more vocal about where they're visiting, when they're visiting, what's going on there, and um, some aren't. So uh, I, again, the, the the sleuths, the Malik Grady's of the world are still working on, on those types of things. Um, so, uh, but at least on the surface, uh, you know, no, no big news, no new uh, players incoming, but I think it could come. Uh, ne- the next piece of news really could come at any time. Yeah, no, I mean, with the uh, broom visit this weekend, um, I tried to warn all our listeners that Tennessee was really good. Uh, and um, broom came into town and, and Tennessee swept Florida. Uh, it was actually kind of an unprecedented weekend for Florida athletics in a not great way. Um, Although tennis won the SEC championship, congrats to those guys. But um, and golf very came very close to winning the SEC championship. Congrats to those guys. Um, but on the diamond sports, uh, an 0-6 homestand weekend. That's the first time for anyone that is curious. Florida has had an 0-6 homestand weekend in those sports since 2002. So 20 years. Well, if we if we want to pivot to, to being a diamond sport podcast, you know, Neil, I, I I see you're ready to go. Do you do you have any do you have any hot takes here on the uh, the baseball program? You know, after a little bit of a disappointing year last year. No, oh no, he's wa- he's waving me off on on the call. That's that's okay. I understand. That is not. Yeah, that is not a Neil Blackman area of expertise. I'm not gonna pretend to know what's going on with the baseball. I I tweeted out a stat that Florida has like a losing record in SEC play since 2019. And I was in no way prepared to engage in long conversations about the, the, the reasoning behind that statistic. It's just something I found interesting. Um, and, you know, I even had, I think uh, Tanner Lefevre dropped in and was like, Hey, why, uh, you know, why'd you pick on that? You left out the 2020 season when they were like unbeaten and then COVID hit and the season got canceled. And I was like, no, I actually tweeted about that a couple times after. But, you know, they never played an SEC game. So the stat was accurate. But, you know, um, you're darned if you do and darned if you don't, I guess, when, when you talk spin and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I did think that with the broom visit, it was just interesting to me that, that this week uh, is – sort of a busy week for coaches to be out on the trail. Um, and we're seeing a lot of that. Um, but Florida doesn't appear unless I'm wrong. Uh, but I haven't seen anything indicating anyone is coming into town this weekend coming up, which is the uh, 30th and May the 1st. Going to have to check uh, Malik Grady's Twitter feed for that one. Um, there's uh, And again, there's some of these visits that that kind of quickly materialize. Uh, that's one thing, too, you've seen with Golden. I think he's really uh, – he's he, he wants people – he wants to get kids on campus for, for visits. It's something he clearly um, enjoys. And I think especially seeing the uh, – uh, coming to Florida right away, that's something that, like, hey, if he can take the excitement he has to be at Florida and he can – bottle that up and, and, and show these incoming players. So um, some of these visits have come together in the past that have already taken place, came together quite quickly. So it wouldn't shock me at all. And um, once again, we're creeping towards the, uh, the deadline for players to uh, 
enter the portal. And uh, so you're still seeing good players every single day. And I do think that now the Gators are getting into the range, kind of like we talked about in the last podcast, where a lot of the big names are off the board. Again, we're still waiting on like, you know, the, the Johnny Brooms of the world. But if Florida were to miss on that, I think they're getting maybe into the realm of like, another like a you know a back guard point guard a backup point guard or like a backup you know center power forward type of guy so uh there's definitely going to be there's definitely those guys and there's definitely more of those guys i bet that are even coming in the next couple of days so uh could see could see visits coming uh pretty pretty quickly but again one more one more shout out people just got to be following malik grady for for these updates yeah, Malik's all over it. Um, one update that I did have, well, a couple custodial updates, I guess. The first one is that Tyrell Ward um, knocked the Gators off his list. So um, after visiting Florida, uh, Florida won't be signing Tyrell Ward. Uh, obviously, you know, if you're a – I don't know. I don't even know if, if conspiracy theorist is the right. It's not at all. Um, but if you're just looking at spots and, like, key targets, that kind of leaves Broom and Kugel, so – um, you know, that would be probably the prioritization of Florida's fits. Um, you know, it doesn't look like Florida's going to be too aggressive in pursuing uh, a second point guard. I saw some chatter about Shaquille Moore, um, but that's point one. Point two is that Florida will be uh, participating in the Jumpman Classic here in Charlotte. I say here, that's where I am. Um, I think that they would like that tournament to be uh, – it's sort of going to be like the Champions Classic where it's not really a tournament so much as an event, showcase event. Um, and it will be a showcase event in the state of North Carolina because of the Jordan brand. That makes sense. In Charlotte, that makes sense. where Michael Jordan lives. Um, so uh, it will be annual, and teams that are in the Jumpman brand will be invited, which you would expect. So Florida – their first Jumpman uh, invitational opponent will be Oklahoma. I know I had tweeted out something about playing North Carolina and then realized very quickly it was a it was a Champions Classic type event. So sorry for that Twitter error. I did delete that tweet, but an exciting event nonetheless. Also, like Florida's fourth game against Oklahoma in the last six years, which is a lot uh, and a number that will increase with Oklahoma joining the SEC at some point in the future. Yeah, Florida is really the welcoming committee for that one with with Oklahoma just going to, you know, keep playing them. And, um, you know, <laughs> one that hasn't gone particularly well for Florida recently, and I hope that that changes. Uh, and it's going to be a pretty interesting measuring stick. Um, people who listen to the podcast know that Porter Moser is, you know, quite frankly, probably my favorite coach in, in college basketball. Um, I, I, I just love everything he runs um, on both sides of the ball. I think he's excellent. I think he took a group of guys that were not very talented and used them to beat the Gators. So, uh that just kind of showing um, what he's capable of. And now going into this season, still not going to be, you know, one of not, not going to be one of the most talented teams in the country, but now he's getting more of his guys, more of uh, uh, more of his system implemented um, scary game for the Gators. But I, again, it's, it's one that um, I love the idea. I, I, I think that maybe even if we can say that like the, the Jordan brand, affiliation like hasn't even been as as big for the gators as i as i would have expected and and not even just the gators just all these jordan brand affiliated schools and maybe it's bigger than we kind of you know notice but um especially when it comes to recruiting and kids want to be wearing jordans more than anything else and that's that's pretty huge um but uh an event like this that just like continues to showcase which brands are, are jordan brand and which aren't and what gets kids that want to play in in you know the best looking stuff what what gets them uh gives them that opportunity. Um, I think that's pretty big. And, and especially um, seeing that I think Oklahoma, like looking at some of these Jordan brand schools, a lot of them were had a couple down years or, you know, weren't great, but I think are going to be very, very good. Like obviously Oklahoma wasn't really, you know, down under Kruger, but I think it could go, I think that they could be, you know, fantastic under Moser. And of course, North Carolina is North Carolina and some of these other Jordan brand schools are, you know, they are who they are. So uh, moving forward, you just kind of know that you're going to be able to pencil in the Gators for a very good game and um, every single year in that. And then, you know, Neil, for as long as you're in Charlotte, you'll always have some some good events nearby. So that's big for you. Yeah, no, I'm excited about the the prospect of, of not only an annual event with a bunch of big time programs, but one where, um, you know, more often than not, Florida will be uh, invited to participate or have the option to participate. I think that's 
That's pretty huge. We are expecting G. Allen Taylor from The Athletic to join us. Um, it's running a little behind, so uh, we will dive into some listener questions and just wait for G. Allen to get on. Uh, we're excited to have him. Um, but we had so many listener questions previously that we didn't even answer them all. So uh, we will start. And speaking of Malik Grady, he's up first. And uh, his question was, does a Bonham Jones Kugel Aberdeen grouping have enough to get by or even excel as a point guard minutes group in the SEC? How would that compare with last year's group at the position? Well, I don't know that there was necessarily a group at the position last year. There was kind of just Tyree Appleby and pray for not foul trouble or an injury. But uh, Eric, your thoughts on that one for Malik? Uh, I don't think that that's like a top tier point guard group. Uh, But again, I I think it's always important to like, there's a whole lot of situations in the country last year where I think people looked at at different starting point guards and it was just like, Oh, you know, I don't think this is kind of elite point guard play. And they're kind of viewing it through the, in a vacuum through the lens of like past point guards that these teams have had. And then you actually look across the country and you see that so many teams weren't particularly satisfied with their point guard play. And you look even in the NCAA tournament, a lot of the teams that went deep, you look at their point guard play, it wasn't really great. And um, you could, you know, looking even at the final four, there were some teams that I would say didn't have great point guard play. So uh, that, so I'm just trying to think in my head, is this, you know, is this, do I think this is not great point guard play looking at, you know, a sample size of over the last couple of years, or do I need to look up and down every single high major team or, you know, I guess SEC in, in this situation, I think you might've said in the league or the, in the SEC. Um, uh, do I have to look at every single one of those to contextualize? I mean, that's probably the best way to do it, but I think that um, I, I, I do. And I do think there's, you know, I really like, I really like Bonham. I think he's going to bring a very interesting element, but um, you know, could you look at that and say like, Oh, for sure. The Gators have, you know, a stellar, stellar point guard, um, f- you know, for sure. I, I don't think you could say for sure. I think like there's, there's a chance. I think there's some risk there just because of his size. Um, but uh, yeah. So I, I will say like improved point guard position from last year. Um, Cause even looking at, you know, some of the names listed in that point guard group for last year, like, like you said, Neil is like, was that really a point guard group or just some guys that would have had to be listed there because these tools like Ken Palm need to put someone in the point guard spot on their lineup data. Um, maybe that's the case. So um, I, I will, I will say improved, but uh, yeah. What do you think, Neil? Well, I think that uh, it doesn't have to be, elite the way that they run that offense either. I think that the, especially the complicated chin series stuff that they run out of the Princeton, Eric is going to be uh, stuff where Colin Castleton is going to get a little more of a chance to be a distributor, particularly when he lifts up uh, to the high post area um, and then can kind of read based on, you know, the sequencing of, of back screens and, and flare screens that are happening uh, around him, Eric. So I, I would say that certainly, um, you know, Colin's ability to pass uh, is something that improved markedly last year. And it improved in a way that uh, was kind of impressive to me, Eric, because Florida's pathways to getting him the ball were so predictable um, to just kind of put it bluntly. And so that meant that Colin Castleton a lot of times was swarmed either by post doubles or firing the post or any number of things that defenses might have shown. Um, and so Colin had to be kind of quick and decisive. And I'm not saying he doesn't have to be in the Chin series, but it is designed to be a little more patient, particularly with all those, um, you know, flare screens and, and back screens uh, that you can run out of a Chin series once you lift your post. So I think. Florida um, doesn't necessarily need to have like the elite distributor. What they need is a patient distributor and a willing distributor. I think they have plenty of those on the roster. I think that, uh, again, I think I mentioned on the last podcast, but where I think Bonham is going to be really good is being like a transition point guard. Um, As long as he's got guys to kind of run with him. Um, I think he's a great passer. I I really love the way he keeps his dribble alive and he can pull up. So I I think that's going to be really good for Florida's um, transition attack that I hope is much improved 
uh, much improved from the last couple of years. Um, but and when it comes to passing for Castleton, I think it was interesting because when he had to pass out of double teams, it was usually his back was to the basket and then help would come or double team would come. Whereas in a Princeton offense, it's a little bit more facing up and making passes um, that way. So it's a little bit different than what he's shown. So uh, that'll be pretty interesting. And if the Gators end up bringing another like a Johnny broom, it'll be, and they have to play those two guys together. Um, it'll be interesting to see who is the, uh, who they feel is, is kind of better at that position and how they make that work. That'll be a whole, you know, if they do get broom, that's, that's going to be a series of podcasts to talk about that fit. Um, but the other thing too, that I think Trey Bonham is really good at and going to fulfill the point guard role really well is his pick and roll numbers are fantastic, both as a passer out of the pick and roll and uh, scoring out of the pick and roll. So I do think um, kind of, again, talking like every phase of what we think Florida's offense is going to be, it's going to be like Trey Bonham pushing the ball, um, looking for something early. If it's not there, then they get it into, we'll say Castleton or the five man and they, they run the prints and stuff. But if it gets to a late clock situation, it's still probably going to be ball screen and uh, Bonham's really good at ball screens, which is excellent. Um, so that's kind of the way I see the offensive quarterbacking going throughout the kind of three phases yeah, no, I like that. That's a great point about, especially like late in the shot clock, if it does get the ball screen, that's when you can kind of revert back to Bonham. Um, I also think that another thing that is kind of underrated, and another reason I think that they went with those three wings and why I think all of those guys are in their plans is some of these low post Princeton series um, actions that you tweeted from Hub Day where they can get the ball into Colin Castleton and uh, either Reeves or Lane could screen away from the ball um, and allow either a shooter to cut to the right wing or, um, you know, the three man as the shooter is cutting to as the other guy is cutting to the right wing. You can have a straight cut to the basket and Castleton can kind of pick his guy. Um, you know, it looks a little prettier on a diagram, I think, than I explained it. But the bottom line is when you have multiple options, at the wing positions, that type of Princeton low post series is a little more effective, Eric. That is a great point. I don't know if I have anything more to add on that one. If you want to throw to another, throw to another listener question. I felt like we should give Malik the most thorough answer that we yes. could possibly, uh, we could possibly give. So Zach Kai asks, what are some of the biggest in-game strategic differences we can expect to see from this staff? Um, well, I think we just talked a lot about Princeton offense and like the fact that it will be more complicated. Do you have any other thoughts on this? Um, so just like specific strategic things, I think it'll start with lineup data. I don't think I will be tweeting out in pivotal games late in the season with NCAA tournament lives uh, at stake. Um, here's Florida rolling out a lineup that's gotten killed and then they predictably get killed. I don't think that's going to happen under the next staff. So uh, that'll be something kind of strategically to look at um, the way that they look for two for ones at the end of the first half, um, but also the end of the second half. I think that'll be something that we have seen zero of recently um, that we'll, uh, we'll see. Um, of course, the fouling up too has gotten, uh, <laughs> that's gotten a lot of talk and uh, as it should, it's a, a very interesting strategy. So that's a, another kind of obvious one um, to cherry pick. Um, yeah. Intentionally fouling. I think we'll see guys getting intentionally fouling. There's a strategic thing I think we'll see. So um, it, it, again, I, to kind of put it all into one bucket, it's just going to be kind of the, the, the place to win on the margins to get a slight one or two more possessions than your opponent to increase your points per possession by a small amount in the last two possessions of a half, but little things like, like that but um um whenever those things happen uh you know neil and i'll be sure to sure to point them out um steadwell 15 asked that we mentioned a money ball uh approach on trey bottom can we talk a little bit about more about what that means and what bottom brings to the table on that front and i think some of it we discussed in the last podcast but uh the three things that stand out to me are um, from a data standpoint, this is a really good player uh, in the pick and roll um, who's going to compare favorably with a higher name brand player. Um, you know, like you could have a guy that you've heard of because he plays for NC State or Wake Forest and his pick and roll numbers aren't going to be markedly better. In fact, maybe worse than Trey Bonham. So that's kind of that money ball concept. Um, the other one for me was just shot selection. 
and like we kind of talked. This was one where Eric and I kind of talked it out <laughs> during the podcast. And then when I looked back at it, I was like, you know, it's pretty remarkable that he shot 33% from deep on what on that team was not high volume. Like he clearly is disciplined uh, as a basketball player. And that is a really, really positive thing, I think, for what Todd Golden wants to do. Yeah, I think the whole money ball approach, if we want to call it that, it's all about not looking like, for example, not looking at raw numbers and looking at rates instead. Like Bonham doesn't have doesn't he wasn't like Yuri Collins or who had like, you know, seven assists per game. But when you look at his assist rate, his assist rate was elite. Um, or looking at uh just looking at you know where his shots came from, or you know, his point total isn't massive but you look at how he got the points and it's in the many of them was in the pick and roll and you can say okay we can see how that translates to the sec level of basketball so it's i, I would say the the biggest thing with like if we want to talk like you know what is Moneyball? i mean you could answer that a, a billion different ways but um, i would say specific to evaluating players especially in a transfer context it kind of starts with throwing out raw box score numbers and starting to look at play type data and rates instead of those, those, those kind of numbers. And when you start to look at his rates and kind of his play type data, um, I think it paints a much, much better picture than his raw numbers would indicate. And uh, that's what has us excited about him. Next question as we uh, get ready for G Allen here is um, I'm from South. Chris McMillan says I'm from South Georgia. I love Kowasi. Great dude, great family. Uh, do you think he stays in college all four years? Uh, or is he gone to the NBA after next year? What is your opinions? Uh, I love these because Eric and I have like kind of gone back and forth on these over the years. Um, you know, I think I think we there are a couple of players we disagreed on, um, you know, over over time. To me, I, I like what we saw at the end of last year from Koisi Reeves suggest that perhaps this is the last season we'll see uh Kowasi and Gainesville but I also know that um the Reeves family is a very tight group they take every basketball decision every family decision they make super seriously and if they if they think there's a scenario where Wasey gets better as a junior then you know I, I would see it being very possible that he could come back especially in the NIL era I would be pretty shocked if he stayed for four years. I think that would be a pro- probably a common sentiment from a lot, of people listening, a lot of people listening. Um, I, I was just going to speak on behalf of you, Neil, and I was going to say like, we don't think that for, but uh, yeah, that would be pretty surprising to me. Um, I don't even want to think about if he was four years, that might suggest he had like an injury or something that I don't even want to think about. So um, I would say probably closer to two years than four years. Um, and like Neil said, I mean, the way he played at the end of last season, despite things kind of crumbling around him with the kind of floor with how Florida basketball was playing. And some of his, you know, key players around him were playing like just to think about what he's going to, what he, what, what, what he would have looked like or what he will look like. I should say, just like with another summer um, with an offense that we, we, you know, we think is going to suit him a little bit better and uh, just kind of the confidence that he showed. Um, I, I think he's going to have a massive year. And that to me would suggest that at, you know, six foot six, six foot seven with athleticism and shot making ability um, that to me suggests he's gone. And you just look at the money that uh, is in the NBA right now. Um, and, and you just see wings like that all the time, get, uh, uh, get drafted based on, you know, just pretty much raw potential. Um, he's got a lot of that raw potential and also has shown he can be productive already. He's also shown that he has the skills. So uh, yeah, I would not be uh, surprised at all. If this is the last season we see him as a Gator. I am muted. So yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't stun me either. We are going to bring on G Allen Taylor from the athletic. Uh, we appreciate him joining us. He, has done a really tremendous job since getting um, to the opportunity to cover Florida athletics and, and has uh, covered football and basketball simultaneously, which is not uh, an easy thing to do at a program uh, like Florida's. So um, we're certainly happy to have you, G. Allen. Thank you for, for some time tonight. Man, my pleasure. Sorry. We had a, uh, an NFL draft series of calls that came up unexpectedly right around the time I was supposed to log in. So apologies for being tardy, man. I'll run a few uh, suicides for you guys. (laughs) 
No, no problem. Um, so I wanted to, to talk a couple about a couple of the pieces that um, I really thought were were terrific. But one of the ones um, that was was great and worth the subscription to the Athletic was the piece you wrote on just uh, Todd Golden's decision to become the coach at Florida. Um, you know, the chance to talk to Billy Donovan, for example, giving him goosebumps. And this is a guy that that played his college basketball at a time when Florida was sort of in the, the, the preeminence of, of the Donovan era or the pinnacle of the Donovan era, I guess is the right word. Um, so, you know, what were your impressions of, of that and, and putting that piece together? What was the impression you got of, of Todd? Well, you know, he was a guy whose name was floating around for a lot of jobs. And, and to be honest, had to do a little research, you know, because, Sometimes there are names that just pop up and there's there's no real uh, gust behind them. You know, no, it's, it's just something either an agent's floating or sounds trendy. And of course, um, I knew of him a little bit from that Auburn stint he had. But, you know, he gets branded as a, as a West Coast guy. And so, you know, uh, I think there's a it's human nature. You think, well, I probably won't work in the southeast or whatever, but. Um, you know, basketball recruiting is just, it's different than football, man. The, the footprint is, is international uh, on the basketball side of things. So when he became a serious candidate and it, you know, it happened really quickly, right? I mean, I think he was uh, officially hired like the, the, you know, within 24 hours of those guys losing in the tournament. So um, has the connections in Auburn that just thought the world of him and it was, it was authentic and it was earnest uh, the way they were almost rooting for him to to get a big job and even telling me that he would do great in the SEC, that that wasn't going to be a problem. So reached out to him and caught him, you know, I guess about 24 hours before he was leaving San Fran to, to head eastward. And it was, um, you know, every, everything I heard about him, that he's a little cocky, that he's high energy and that uh, he'll blow your mind off with or, or blow, uh, blow your mind with his steel trap memory. Uh, it came to pass in that first interview, and uh, one of the Auburn coaches had told me, hey, make sure you ask him about the play he drew up that helped us uh, beat LSU back in 2013 or 14, whatever it was. So I asked him about that, and he goes, man, they've got it wrong. It was to beat Georgia, and the play was called Zipper 5. We ran at LSU. It didn't work, but it worked at Georgia. And, I mean, this is, you know, no forewarning at all. And he just pulled that out just like he does when he – will tell you his assist to turnover ratio back in the days of St. Mary's. So it's an unconventional hire. I, I understand why it's a risky hire. Some might think, but I'm a little, I'm a little enthused about it and we'll see, you know, really how it, how it turns out with recruiting long-term. Cause that's going to, that's going to decide, you know, the, the ceiling for this program, but it, it's interesting, man. He's a, he, he's a, He's, he's got an edge to him that I, I think players will like, and I think fans will like too. So you mentioned that he had a little bit of a cockiness to him that, uh, you know, these Auburn people are talking about and, and you kind of saw that, that confidence. Uh, of course, one of the big conversations with every hire at Florida, um, and I would say kind of especially around basketball the last couple of years, um, was expectations. So for a coach like Todd Golden, he, who's come in, um, what, what do you think he views views the expectations and do you think he has any any fear um regarding you know the high expectations that a lot of fans will have i don't because uh, the thing about the mike white era is the program never tanked you know they never had a year where they were 12 and 17 and 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 weren't in the running for the ncaa both of their nit bids uh you know they were probably two wins away from making the tournament and, you know, going into this year, they had the longest streak of SEC, uh, of uh, NCAA invites in the league. And, and you know, I've covered Tennessee when it was down. And, of course, I went to Alabama, and they had a run of seven or eight years where they would always win 17 games and not get in the tournament or be a one seed in the NIT. And so I've seen programs that, that didn't get it done. So I don't, I don't sneeze at the fact that White got these guys in the tournament. But I think Golden also realizes that that wasn't enough to energize the fan base and to keep keep the energy in the O-Dome because of what happened under Donovan. And uh, so, so I think he aspires to get back there. I don't think he uh, tries to downplay what this program can be. I, you know, I don't think he's sitting here saying, hey, we can win 20 games, uh, you know, 
every year and, you know, be an eight or a nine seed and that'll be good enough. I think he, he wants to have guys who can get to that second weekend of the tournament every year and play for final fours and, and be high in the sec standings every year versus where they've been the last few. So I think he embraces that. And the fact that he would reach out to Donovan just, I mean, tells you all you need to know, right? He's, he's not running from the past, man. He's, he's, slapping the, the past on the ass and saying, let's go do it again. Yeah, I felt like that was something that that and the the kind of focus on analytics. And I know in the in the piece that you wrote, you know, he was quick to say, look, we're not just going to crunch computer data all day. I mean, we we have a, a basketball philosophy aside from what analytics tell us. But, um, you know, there was sort of some similarities to the NATO tire because at Alabama, because this was a coach that had had some success at a place where not many people had success, but he wasn't like the highest name on every list. Uh, but if you talk to basketball people, they were really enthusiastic about NATO. It's just like they are about Todd Golden. And then NATO took the job and he said, well, I remember the Wim Sanderson days. Like it's easy to win the press conference. Right. But it seems like, he's kind of embracing the cultural element of those expectations in a way that, um, you know, at least late in the white era, maybe Mike in a fair way kind of resented maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, you're, you're spot on, man. There was, um, uh, cause he was the guy that, that followed Donovan. So I think there's naturally some sort of, you know, territorial, sort of build your own brand, uh, build your own design thing here um, while also, you know, hoping to capitalize on it. Uh, But, you know, you're getting to a point now where quite frankly, uh, none of these kids they're recruiting now remember the national championship. We've reached that tipping point where the banners look good. The fans remember it, but you've reached that new group where you got to do it again, man. You know, you gotta, you gotta sort of rejuvenate uh, the memories of these, of these teenagers who are going to, who are going to make your program. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's a situation where um, not unlike the Dan Mullen deal, where I thought Mike White was probably safe a year or two ago, but then you start seeing, well, the roster doesn't look great. There's no, there's no, you're not pointing towards next year at, at the end of the Mike White era saying, Oh, they're going to be, up there with Kentucky next year. You know, you didn't have that feeling. You'd be like, well, what can they cobble together to have a chance to be in the upper half of the SEC? And that's just not good enough for the fan base here at Florida. So um, I know Golden's taking some big swings in recruiting, and he uh, you know, he wants to get old and stay old is, is one of the things he told me because he pointed to the average age of that Kansas team this year. And, you know, I don't I don't think he would have any qualms with, you know, if, if there's five spots available in a recruiting class, you know, trying to get two high school guys and three multi-year transfers. I think uh, that's the new reality until guys get <laughs> uh, less enticed by the grass is greener syndrome. And so, uh, you know, you can you can always find guys who have already got over the homesickness and who have already been coached hard in college and are and, and there's more tape on, right? Because there's a lot of guys that look good at 17 that by the time you see them at 19, it's like, nah, they're not what – not what they were. They never developed. So, you know, the, the portal is actually maybe a little safer bet, albeit for a shorter time frame, than some of these uh, high-profile high school kids who think they're going to be one and done and have a rude awakening when they get in college. So when Golden was first hired, there was – uh, a, a little bit of a sentiment that was kind of floating around some of the SEC circles. And I'm sure you heard it. You've got plenty of SEC ties. There's uh, that some, of, especially some of the, the old guard in the league um, known for getting things done in the trenches of the recruiting world um, that said, you know what? Hey, we're not, we're not scared of this. You know, we're not scared of this golden guy. And you kind of had that feel too, with some of these other hires in the SEC, some of these um, remaining coaches who were already there were like, Oh, you know, like we're not scared of any of these new hires and kind of as, as his staff started to trickle in um, that was something that I heard from some other sec coaches as well. Just kind of saying like, Hey, you know, all due respect, you know, good hire and all that. We're, we're not scared of Florida on the recruiting trail. Um, you got to kind of see a little bit of, of golden's personality. You got to hear about uh, you know, a little bit about how his, how he recruits his pitch. What would you tell to a Florida fan who says, Hey, we've got some concerns about this West coast um, coach coming to the sec. 
Well, whether high school recruits or even freshmen and sophomores, whether they're delusional or not, they think their career path ends in the NC, in the NBA. So <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with a coach saying, well, we're going to play a style and we're going to use metrics that the NBA has really, really embraced the last five or six years. And it may be cutting edge for college, but this is what the pros do with regard to how they structure their offenses. So I think that's a selling point. Um, you know, had he brought his entire USF staff with him and tried to make that fit here, I would have been concerned. I like the McCray hire. Um, you know, I think there's the possibility for, uh, you know, Hartman uh, to, to, to be a good hire too, along with, along with Kevin. Um, you know, I think he wanted to, to probably give Eric a chance to stay. Um, but when Eric left to go with, uh, with Mike White to Georgia, um, you know, maybe that was a ploy just to, to keep one of the five stars <laughs> in the class. Right. I mean, that, that might've been what that was, but, but he didn't strike out on a lot of guys and, and he's got some SEC guys uh, and some guys who recruited at different spots in other power leagues. So I think that part's going to do it. And as you know, man, the, the assistants do just uh, yeoman's work in recruiting and, uh, the head coaches are obviously closers in a sense, but I think that system is enticing. It really is because all your bigs now are, are trying to step out and expand their games. And this one will uh, certainly give them an opportunity to do that. And I think he's going to be able to, to show them numerically why they might fit there, which, you know, it's pretty convincing versus just, uh, putting on tape and saying another player did this, another player did that. So um, I, you will see. It's, it's going to take two or three recruiting cycles to, to really get a feel for that. Um, but but I, don't, I don't think he's, you know, going to be picking over the, the 10th and 11th best classes in the in the SEC. I, I think they're going to be upper half this year and and uh, and for years to come. They, um, you know, I would say – Gian Taylor from The Athletic is our guest. Uh, ask him a few more questions here. Um, thanks for your time again. I think that the the decision to, to at least try to retain Pastrana, I mean, we don't necessarily know all that went into that, but it was a smart one, obviously, and, and Eric decided to go uh, where he was familiar with Mike White. I'm sure made a lot of sense to them, but I thought it showed – you know, intel, a high level of intelligence to try to keep a guy who's recruited the state of Florida forever. Um, and then the other thing is that he expanded support staff, at least for now, bringing in Torian Green, um, bringing in Jonathan Saffer, who was his uh, data analyst guy. Um, so I think that they've, they're kind of broader in that sense. I mean, it's not the army that they've got over in the football building, um, but they are approaching uh, recruiting, it looks like from sort of an, the all hands on deck standpoint. And by the way, this is a, a good time to, sh to shout out another one of your articles that I thought was great, although not something we normally would talk about on, on our podcast, but the piece about Katie Turner and, and the Florida uh, recruiting overhaul, I thought was tremendous. People should check that out as well. No, I appreciate it. It was, it was good getting to know her because you just don't see a 27 year old, people, female or male, getting $200,000 jobs. And I think uh, I think Napier valued her from her days as a student. I think Kirby Smart did as well. And so, you know, Napier had a chance to bring her back and I think really reset the market and, and create a position that really wasn't there. Um, so, you know, by the time Katie is either an AD when she's 45, or I joked with her, she'll be the GM of the the Buffalo Bills by that point, um, <laughs> you know, I think we can look back at the, at the 2022 hire at Florida and understand that that's not just a, that's not, that's not just a hostess position. That's not just a, a concierge position. That's a, that's a full service strategical uh, social media type thing that is, uh, you know, is way undervalued or had been until about four or five years ago. So, you know, kudos to Billy because I mean, he's putting his tail on the line by telling Scott Strickland, Hey, I need an associate AD who's 27 uh, from Georgia as a recruiting coordinator, and and selling them on why. And if you see her work, the families at practice, and the way she's—it doesn't seem like she's working. She's really 
being informative and, and making sure people get from point A to point B, it's, it's a value. And doing that for the football program, some of that's going to bleed over into everything else once they get that right. big facility open. So it's, it's, it's going to have an osmosis effect of, of helping other teams. So we did see, uh, we have seen Golden uh, kind of have two positions now that were not there um, under the previous regime with the director of, of analytics and basketball strategy. And then um, with the player development guy, do you think that's the, the Napier effect spilling over to basketball? Because, you know, we, we just didn't see Mike White kind of have these guys on staff. Like, do you think that was because the, uh, the budget, the resources weren't there for, for White to have that? Uh, and now they see the value because of, of Napier on the football side? Um, or do you think this is kind of, you know, all Todd Golden or is it, you know, somewhere in between? Well, I did like a cursory count of basketball staffers who were listed at other SEC schools. And some had the same numbers, Florida, you know, a couple had a couple more, um, but some were also listing like uh, administrative assistants which I know everyone has an administrative assistant in the SEC. So I didn't want to – it wasn't a scientific approach, but Florida wasn't leading the way as far as number of uh, uh, people who contribute to the basketball product. So I think that's uh, a step in the right direction. And, you know, I've, I've asked myself this question about Mullen all the time. Did he just not feel emboldened enough to ask or demand that, or did he really truly think – it was a waste of money and it wouldn't have done him any good. And I think there's a, there's a bit of both in that, you know, if you're the head coach, um, you know, everything trickles down from you. So if, if there needs to be a problem fixed, you've got to attack it and not wait for the administration to do so, you know, kudos to Billy for taking that tack. And I think you will see Todd is, is doing the same because uh, you know, they're, they're two, they're two faces of Florida athletics now, and they're definitely going to bounce ideas off of each other and, 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 and learn from each other. I think um, when you look at Florida from a roster standpoint um, for next year, and you wrote about this, uh, I think last week, uh, but you know, you're seeing one thing that's pretty obvious to Eric and I, and we're just two high school basketball coaches. Keep that, keep that in mind, but um, they are going to be longer and taller and have more wings than they've had in a while. Now, some of that, I think people, I do think the fan base in particular discounted the impact of like losing the, a preseason all American and the sec player of the year for two seasons. Um, or at least one, certainly if Keontae had stayed healthy, he probably would have gone to the NBA. Um, but, but it, you know, it, it definitely changed what Florida looked like from a basketball standpoint uh, in the last two seasons under Mike White. But now they bring in the kid, Will Richard, who is already on NBA radars um, from Belmont, kind of a guy that people just missed, I guess. It's just a recruiting miss by recruiting services. Um, and then, you know, I know the staff is obviously very happy with with having Koasey Reeves back. And then Niles Lane, who, you know, came basically from obscurity in January to a guy that poured in a double-double with – tonsillitis in the sec tournament so um i think there's reason to be excited at least about that aspect of the roster and probably something that todd golden saw as well yeah they are they are not hurting on on the perimeter for those guys um i think the the thing we need to see play out here over the next couple weeks uh is really you know what they do with with the point guard situation because um I like I like Trey Bonham. I think he's a nice piece, uh, but other people I talked to didn't think he was a a lead SEC guard. They think he's a very capable scorer, a little bit uh, not up to snuff on the defensive end, um, but a guy who could, should definitely be in your rotation. But they just don't know if he's that guy to be your lead point guard, and and he may be, but um, uh, you know maybe there are secondary ball handlers that can pick it up in a, in a motion offense. Uh, that that doesn't require, uh, you know, ball screens and and getting downhill like Alabama does with Javon Quinterly on like seemingly eighty percent of their possessions. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see if they if they do land a second point guard or if they you know add a big and another wing and and just get stronger in those areas.
don't know what happened to I don't know what happened to Eric. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, I guess last last question I have for you is, you know, and you just kind of touched on it. Uh, obviously, there's there's only a couple spots left right now. Um, they could add another guard. Uh, they just had John Broom visit, who's one of the biggest names left in the portal. Um, and I think that brings up an interesting conversation of of like how he would coexist with with Colin Castleton and hopefully Jason Jatobo uh, being healthy and CJ Felder, who who was not healthy most of last year, hopefully would be be healthy again for for Golden. But I think um, you know the other big question that people have is. Are they going to try to get Jalen Reed back in the fold? Is that kind of a lost cause? Anything that that you would you're you're hearing on that or any conversations you've had about that? Uh, like you said, there's there's two spots, and there might be uh, seven or eight possibilities when you consider contingency guys. Uh, you know, depending on who they like on the board, I think everybody likes Broom, right? That's a that's a good problem to have, and you'll you'll try to make it work with he and Caston, whether there's uh, 15 minutes where they play solo and then 10 minutes where they overlap and uh, work things together. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, Reed is still out there. Uh, I think he's a long shot, but, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. I mean, he, he could flourish in that system. It just depends on maybe what comes together on the NL, NIL side of things. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of pieces to this. Um, and uh, I know you guys talked about Kugel last week as well as a possibility. Um, I don't have a beat on, on what point guards would be there at this point that they like, or that they think they can get. I think there are some available, but you know, I don't, I don't think Hunter from Iowa State's coming down here to, to solve that problem in the next two weeks. Um, and I, I think uh, Shireman out of South Dakota State, his list of 30 schools is going to be cut to 10 tonight. So we'll see if Florida makes the top 10, but his offers are going to be, someone told me today, his offers are going to be absolutely absurd. What, what it's going to take to get him. So that would be a nice tease, but that might, might be a stretch at this point. Um, I asked Todd a, a couple weeks ago, is he a best available kind of guy because of, of how a system is, or does he really recruit to needs at this point? He said he really does want to look at needs from the standpoint of what fits because he doesn't want to overload one position and have guys uh, uh, wasted essentially um, or, or not being able to play off each other. So I think he's, he's trying to, to find a fit, but you know, in, in the case of broom, I don't think you back off of him because you got Castleton, especially if Castleton can show that he can play 15, 18 feet and maybe even uh, 21 feet. <laughs> on a couple of possessions a game, if that works out, um, man, you got to check the portal every day, and you got to check who committed where and who's visiting where. And now you got transfers who have committed and decommitted. Um, I, I was texting another SEC assistant today, and I said, "Man, I don't, I don't envy what you guys have to do just to fill out the final spots in your roster this late in the cycle." Because usually at this point, you're done, and you might be, might be taking a, a JUCO guy as your twelfth or thirteenth spot, but it's not like your whole roster's in flux like these guys are dealing with now. Uh, I think it's pretty interesting just to see the the timing, like for a Shireman to enter the portal now, like there are teams that have swung and missed on their first targets. So for Shireman to get into the, the conversation now, suddenly he becomes one of the best guys on the board where if he does it two days after the season, he's, you know, somewhere in the mix of that upper tier. So I, I'm really interested by that. And uh, it is interesting with the point guard position because there are a lot of point guards out there, but are any of them kind of a clear upgrade from, from bottom? Maybe it's someone that's a similar kind of tiered player, but uh, does that make you feel better having, you know, two guys that you're not totally sure high level SEC guys, and you just hope one of them emerges like, That'll be that'll be interesting to see. Um, one more, just last thing on the recruiting side of things. Something that that Golden talked about when he first uh, got hired uh, was that he had interest in in recruiting internationally, um, which is is usually a little bit more of a of a long play. So you know, getting hired in your first offseason to go this route could be difficult. But have you you heard uh, anything about any international players that he might be interested in for uh, this upcoming season? Not for this one, but I think uh, he's already booked a flight <laughs> to to uh, go with St. Mary's coach uh, 
down to Australia and, and, and keep those things going. He said they had a hard time at USF utilizing that because St. Mary's was so locked in there. But, you know, walking in with a with a Don's logo versus a Gators logo in Australia might uh, might tilt the, 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 the balance in his <laughs> favor, man. So um, I, I like some of those international players. And for some reason, yeah. and I, I don't have the metrics to back it up, but just anecdotally, I don't feel like the SEC has had as many as I see in, in other other leagues or many that were prominent in other leagues. So, uh, you know, there's skill and the way the game is going, man, skill sometimes trumps athleticism. So, I, you know, not to say there aren't athletic Aussies. If you've ever watched uh, the, the Australian rules footy, you know, they are, but um, yeah, that, that's, that's a pipeline where if you get one every two or three years, I think a nice way to augment your roster. Uh- G. Allen Taylor from The Athletic, thank you for uh, your time. Obviously, y'all should know that that he's covered big boy sports in the Big 12 and in the SEC. So I'm sure coming back to the SEC uh, and seeing the sort of basketball revolution has been uh, eye-opening for you. Yeah, it has, man. We used to joke when I was in Tennessee during the Buzz Peterson era that you see a lot of bad basketball. You might have to go to seven or eight games before you see uh, two really good teams. And now the, the coaching has really made a, an uptick in the last eight or nine years. When Ben Howland can't make it work after two right. five, fours, when he's just a cast off now, you know that the, the aspirations are higher. So it's, yeah. you know, I, I might live long enough to see Georgia get a, a new arena or something. I don't know. Or, or take <laughs> basketball seriously. I don't know if I'll be around that long. But if, uh, Kirby, if Kirby needs one for recruiting, it will be built. If they start, yeah, if they start tracking uh, two-way players who want to be uh, wings and receivers, then that can get done in a heartbeat, right? <laughs> uh, thank you, I, thank you for your time. Yeah, man, I enjoy what you guys do. I really do. It's a uh, it's high level, and it's not just spitball. And so it's it's good to to read and listen to you guys. Hey, thank you so much. It's it's been good. Sorry, I know I know Neil's trying to get you out of here, but I, I actually had one question that I needed <laughs> I needed to ask you because of your experience um, in a bunch of big leagues covering both the basketball and football side. Uh, just a little bit before this podcast, uh, it was announced that Mark Emmert would be uh, stepping down. I am curious, what would be on your wish list? What are some traits that uh, you hope for for the next leader of the NCAA? Uh well, you talk about fixing problems, and, and I feel like the NCAA has always moved rather glacially uh, in that respect. So, um, so that'll be it. It's a thankless job, man. I mean, maybe after the the beating Emmert took, some of it self deserved over the last few years. Maybe guys like me will be more inclined to uh, really judge them on what they can do versus what they are doing. Um, but they they got to find a way to, I think, uh, just make NIL even more transparent, which is it's already more transparent than the cheating that was going on before NIL. So I don't think NIL is, is, is killing the sport, but I would like to, uh, I think the kids need to have the ability, um, maybe a dead period so they can look at all their offers. And I mean, the contracts and have, uh, you know, somebody from the Gator Collective told me today that it'd be nice if all these guys could just um, have somebody vet you know, what's guaranteed money versus what's incentive based and things like that versus just getting an offer, you know, 10 minutes before you sign and saying, oh, that bottom line looks good. So the NCAA, to whatever extent they're going to do that, don't wait on Congress for NIL because that's that's a non-starter. Um, and then I would love for somebody in the NCAA leading it somehow to try to keep college football to where at least 100 and some odd teams are in division one and playing on the same level. I'm not a fan of this yes. 45 yes. or 50 breaking away. I'm, I, I feel like we're already there and it's heading that way because of the money, but man, I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, a, a coastal Carolina or uh, the, the other teams that come out of the blue some years can, can have a chance to do something. And, and I'm, I don't want two NFLs. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want a 32 team college super league that feeds the 32 team NFL. I, I, I really think that the middle class of college football is important for the, you know, the one out of seven years that Texas tech beats Oklahoma or, you know, Houston beating Oklahoma that year, those kind of things have to happen. And it's not going to be apples to apples with resources and funds, but um, you know, I don't want to see Troy and Iowa state 
separated from Oklahoma and, and Florida. You know, I just I think it's better and it's more rewarding when you know you're the champion out of 100 plus teams versus you're the champion of the power five. Right. Yep. That's, a, that's a lot for an NCAA uh, president to fix, but those are those are two things. Oh, one more thing they can fix next year. I want the freaking basketball courts in the NCAA to have something local on them so I can look at it and say, hey, they're in Albuquerque. I like the old school where you played on the court that was there, not all these homogenous yeah. things. So maybe there's some artwork or something on the floor that screams, hey, they're in Cincinnati, they're in Syracuse, not these cookie-cutter courts. And that's just uh, that's just me longing, longing for the days when NCAA won a national championship at the pit, NC State, Lorenzo Charles, at the freaking pit. That couldn't <laughs> even host a first-round game now, you know? Yeah, I love that idea. I, you know, I, it, maybe I'm just old man yells at cloud on it, but I loved it when it was like – even – not even that long ago, you could at least see on time, like hosted by Jacksonville University or whatever. Yes. Yes. Like, just give me give me that back, please. But nothing yeah. is sacred anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a way to do it. I think the Chamber of Commerce is from those towns can pony up uh, 25 grand to have a, a big logo or something there. It's, there's there's got to be a Absolutely. way to do it, man. I don't like watching a game and thinking, oh, who would the who's the crowd rooting for? Because I couldn't tell you what time zone the game is in. <laughs> all right man well we appreciate your time and um thanks for all the the great content y'all subscribe to the athletic if if you haven't um it is worth the price of the subscription support great writers like g allen taylor thanks buddy hey you guys are kind anytime happy to do it thank you so much so that uh g allen taylor joining us um certainly appreciate his time uh we will wrap with a question from Sam Weinmiller. And by the way, we still have listener questions, but I wanted to cut us at an hour tonight, really for the sanity of, of uh, Eric Fawcett and myself. Um, but Sam Weinmiller asked from previous pods, it sounds like the offense is likely to feature a big as a distributor. Is that player on the roster? Is there more than one such player on the roster? Um what do you guys think of that? And I think we've talked about it a little bit with Colin Castleton, and I think he's capable of doing it. Uh, it would be interesting with Johnny Broom because he's definitely a little more of just a sinner than Colin is, Eric. I've, you kind of threw me with your last comment. I really think both of them are pure centers. Um, and if they do play on the court together, if the Gators were to get broom, I don't even know which one I would want playing, you know, the quote unquote center in which on the perimeter. Um, I actually think that broom might be a little bit more equipped for, for the Princeton. Um, I, and again, but I mean, again, part of it is still like the, the passing face up from, you know, near the three point line. Um, face, you know, facing their hoop is just so different than what we saw from Castleton passing out of double teams with his back to the basket. So it's a little bit of like, I'm just not totally sure. Um, but for a player who's a, a veteran, who's, uh, you know, sees the game pretty well, I'm, I'm sure it's not going to be a problem. But I mean, when you start to see like how Grant Golden passed the ball or how um, some of these, you know, Princeton teams run through the fives, it's just like to, to suggest that I, I think Castleton or, you know, anyone else would be that that close to, to that. Um it, I, I just couldn't say that. So, um, but I, I will also say this as the roster is currently constructed. I'm, I mean, I, I like with Alex Fudge, I also think like, Hey, maybe, maybe he's someone who can, can play that way. Um, again, he kind of showed a lot more offensive flashes in, in high school. So uh, yeah. Do they have that guy in the roster? You know, I, I don't think they've got this, like, like I think Grant Golden from Richmond was like the gold standard of centers within the Princeton offense. Um, right. So right. Do Florida have that person, I would say no, but I do think they have a couple options who can do it pretty well. Yeah. I mean, and again, I thought late in the season, um, not to quibble too much with Eric here, but I think late in the season, we saw some of it from, from Colin in a system where he wasn't exactly set up to succeed as a passer and still was kind of capable of doing it. So I think he can do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the other thing I think is is it would be great if both he and Broom could do it because I really don't think that the idea will necessarily be to have them on the court together at the same time that much. 
Um, although who knows? I'm not sure how they recruited Johnny Broom this weekend. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, and I mean, man, there's uh, there's people in the in the staff that are still really confident with Broom, so that visit must have gone well. So clearly, whatever they're they're telling him regarding playing time or or role, like um, he's 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 taking it. So uh, I, again, I think the the one thing, especially if they don't get Broom, uh, would be like. You know, do you see Jason Jatobo? Do you see CJ Felder? Do you see one of those guys being working within this? And it's like, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, not maybe not as sure with those guys, but so maybe they play a little bit of a different style in, in those those situations, which is definitely possible. But uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for the question. I hope people keep sending in their listener questions. We'll just throw them on the queue and 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 keep them coming through this offseason. Yeah, no, I mean I've got them now where I've removed them and kind of created a master sheet because we we quite honestly got more than I could have imagined. And I'm so appreciative of that. Uh, also, everybody that's given us a, a heart on Spotify or an Apple review, uh, you know, I got to get to some of those uh, next show, but thank you all for listening. Go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts.